Hello and welcome to our weekly podcast from Faith Point Church, Auckland, New Zealand. We hope you will encounter God afresh in this week's teaching segment. If you enjoy this podcast and would like to hear more, then you can visit us at www.faithpoint.org.nz. And now for today's message. So this morning we'd, um, I want to carry on with our wisdom series. And I'm going to do a two-part message today on your relationship to money. And uh, for those of you that may be visiting, you're thinking, oh my gosh, I've come to church and the preacher's talking about money. I knew that's what these Christians were all about. They're just all about money. Well, you'll be amazed to know that in five years, I've never spoken on the topic of money. Isn't that amazing? In five years. Because a, a number of years ago, the Lord gave me a revelation about His provision. And so that's why we don't do many sermons around the offering or taking up money all the time. Um, we just trust God. Having said that, the topic of money is the thing that Jesus spoke the most about. If you want to break down all the topics that Jesus spoke about, money is actually at the top. Why is that? Because it's such a common issue. We all need more money. Do you need more money? <laughs> no, no thanks, Pastor James. I've got tons, thanks. I've got heaps of it. Uh, well, that's good. Can I see you after? That would be great. <laughs> How's that sound? Is that coming through okay? Bit of an, there's, a bit of a, there's a bit of feedback coming through on the uh, channel, Sue. So if you could just sort that out, that would be great. So um, that's why I want to... You can't tackle the topic of wisdom and not ta- tackle the subject of money. It's as simple as that, because we need wisdom when it comes to finance. We all need money, but more than that, we need the one who provides us with the money, and we need to understand how God's economy system works in regards to finance. So that's what I'm going to take the next couple of weeks uh, to teach on. Next week, by the way, is Mother's Day, so I won't be doing it next week. Viv's going to be preaching next week on Mother's Day. So bring along your family. We always have a great service on Mother's Day, uh, but I'll tackle part two of this message the next time I'm rostered on to speak. So let's just take a moment just to pray. Father, we thank you for your word. It's truth. It's life. We thank you, Father, that your word brings uh, to us the revelation of the heart of the Father. We thank you, Lord, that your word has been written and inked by the Holy Spirit, that uh, the Bible says that these words that are written in your book have been inspired by God. And so, Lord, today we want to take your word. We want to have a look at what you've got to say on this issue of our relationship to money. And we pray today, Father, that you would just unfold this message. I ask for your help to communicate. I pray for the anointing of the Spirit, Lord, today to be able to share on this uh, delicate but needy subject in our lives. We commit it to you, Jesus. Amen. Well, let's look at um, a few verses from Proverbs this morning regarding a request that the man who was full of wisdom had, and he said this, Proverbs 30 Verse 7, two things I request of you, deprive me not before I die. Here's the first one. Remove falsehood and lies from me. Second one, give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food allotted to me, lest I be full and deny you. And say, who is the Lord? 
or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Sorry, Sue, I've still got a ring coming in my ears. Or who is the Lord, lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. So here's a couple of observations to start with today. The first thing the writer requests is to remove falsehood from my heart. Falsehood and lies. In other words, he acknowledged that within his heart was he had the capability of bending the truth. Anybody else have that capability? We, we sometimes have the gift of exaggeration uh, within our lives. Or we like to put our little spin on things. Some people call them a white lie, but according to the Bible, a lie is a lie. Amen? A lie is when we don't speak the truth on issues. And so the writer says, he says, I want two things to request of you, Lord. This, this bend, this proneness that I have in my life to not be truthful. And then he couples it with the subject of money. Because the second request that he makes here is that you would give me neither poverty nor riches. Because he said, if I get too wealthy and I've got an abundance of things, I'm going to forget you. I don't need God in my life. I've got money. Think about that. If you want to have a look at the graph of your emotional life, you're on a high when the bank account looks good. Emotionally, you're on a low when the bank account's not so good. And so he says, he says here, I just want to be content knowing that I've got enough food on the table and my needs are taken care of so that I don't forget you, Lord. And secondly, so I don't, if my wants exceed my supply, that I don't then invent ways of getting more by stealing. Interesting, being in Australia in the last week, I tell you what, the financial institutions in Australia right now are having the biggest shake-up they have had for decades. And people are going down, people are going to go to jail. Financials, trusted financial institutions like AMP right now are under the pump over there because financial institutions have been doing exactly what this proverb warns us against and they've been twisting the books and lining their own pockets as executives. So I tell you what, it's all over the news over there every single day as people are going to go down for what's been going on. So, so here we see here that a dysfunctional relationship with money it brings an incredible stress into your life and it brings incredible stress into anybody that's connected to you. If you have a dysfunctional relationship with money or money has a dysfunctional relationship with you, then it brings stress not only into your life but into everyone that's connected to you. And my goal in this two-part message is to give you some of the wisdom of the Scriptures to know how you can reconcile your life with the issue of money. Would that be good today? And I want to share a little bit of my testimony to, to just, you see, a lot, of, a lot of the stuff that I'm sharing with you has come out of the 
the cauldron of experience in my life. I was raised on a beautiful farm where my grandparents lived in the homestead. Can we just bring that up? Can you see that there? Maybe you can just turn the lights off a bit just so that we can see down the back. That would be great, Nick. So this, this was the homestead that was on our farm. And uh, that house there is 10,000 square feet or 900 square meters. 900 square meters of house. The average house in Auckland is about 160, 170 square meters. So you multiply that four times and you got this place. So I moved into this house as a teenager when my grandparents died, moved out of the other house that was on the farm. If you just flick through, there's the master bedroom. Um, there's the billiard room and the, uh, the kitchen. Keep moving through. There's the dining room and the ensuite. Every, every bedroom had an ensuite. Uh, there's the lounge and the hallway, all carved out of uh, native New Zealand timber. So that was my roots. Now you talk about a dysfunctional relationship with money. I love my dad dearly. And if he were here today, he would say, take the lessons out of my life and use them for good in your life today. My dad's no longer here um, because his story is one of having to learn things a very difficult route. On this where this house was built was on, we had a beautiful 800 acre farm. Most of it was arable, very arable soil, and so we did a lot of mixed cropping and sheep. And, uh, and in 1987, anyone remember what happened in 1987? It was a massive global financial crash that happened around the world. And around this time, my dad was already up to his eyeballs in debt. So he had no shifting. And he was trying to turn this beautiful home into an ho international homestay for overseas guests. And so he took a marketing trip to America and booked it all on the credit card. And when he came back, he began to get inroads into the community. So he started having American tourists coming through and they would stay and they would pay something like $400 US a night to stay in this house back in the 80s. But you see, he had no capital and he had no money in the bank. And so an Australian bank called him on a $10,000 credit card debt that he'd built for his marketing trip to America. And he had no money in the bank to pay the credit card back. So the bank sent its bounces onto the property and they kicked him off a property that had three generations of our family. And this, this property was built in 1906. In 1906, it cost 5,500 pounds. That was a lot of money in 1906. And so my dad lost everything through a mortgagee sale. They call them a fire sale. And the bank didn't care how much money they got. They just wanted to offload the debt. And so the, they, the purchaser bought this property for $225,000. It's worth around three and a half million now. And it absolutely broke my father's heart. And it also meant that me and my two sisters, that our inheritance was completely lost. So it meant all of us had to start from scratch. We had no money behind us. We had nothing at all that generations had passed down through the family line. It was all taken from us. And so we had to start from scratch. So when I married Viv, we, I worked for a year as a computer programmer and then we became pastors. 
And, uh, and I was on such a low wage as a pastor that we had to have a top-up from social welfare every week. Um, and so we, that's, that's the background of finance that I came from. And if you want to know what a dysfunctional relationship with money looks like in the context of a marriage, then you only need to look at my parents because so many of their fights and arguments were over the money that they never had. Because my father found inventive ways of borrowing money to try and prop up an artificial lifestyle. But he didn't have the income to pay it back. And so our whole heritage and three generations since this home was built was taken from our hands and stripped by a mortgagee sale. It doesn't feel very nice. And it took such a toll that our combined with dysfunctional relationship with money combined with alcohol abuse, then it wasn't long before my mother said, I'm not staying here anymore. I can't live with you anymore. And she got a divorce as we were growing up. So that's the background that I want to share from the wisdom of Proverbs regarding finance today. Just so that you know, I've been there. I've been right at the bottom. And by the grace of God and by God's hand, His continual generosity outside my wage as a pastor, God has enabled us to be able to get back into a housing market so that at the end of my life, I've got something to pass on to my children. And that's only by the grace of God. So over the years, I have seen the devastating effects of Christians who have had a reconciliation with Christ and their sins have been forgiven, but they've never had a reconciliation with their finance. They love God, they pray, they serve God, but they haven't yet had a financial encounter in their personal lives with Jesus Christ and their finances are all out of whack. And as a result, it makes it builds such stress into Christians' lives as a result of not having had that second reconciliation. That's the reconciliation with God and your finances this morning. It's gone very quiet in this first church of the frigid air this morning. <clears throat> so there's no doubt about it, your salvation and the gift of eternal life that Jesus Christ won for you when he reconciled you back to the cross is the single greatest event. But we all need a financial reconciliation with God because it's so deeply ingrained into every area and every pore of our life that it will literally, when you build on God's wisdom with your finance, it will radically and dramatically change your life. Let me tell you that right now from the outset today. Proverbs says this, 24.3, Through wisdom a house is built. There you go. Through wisdom a house is built. And by understanding, it is established. So let's look from the outset today that God has wisdom for us to build a house that is last generations, a house of spiritual uh, connectivity with God that will be passed on to generations. But more than that, something that physical can be passed on to the generations as a result of God through wisdom building our house. And I want to look just very briefly at an example in Scripture with a man who was out of control when it came to his money. His name was Zacchaeus. And you can read the story in Luke chapter 19. For the sake of time, we're not going to read it all. I will read some verses out of there. But Zacchaeus 
was a Jew, but he had a problem with money. Not only did he need a spiritual reconciliation with God, but he needed a financial reconciliation with God. You see, this man was incredibly wealthy and he made his money by ripping off his own countrymen. And if you've ever met a true Jew, one thing you'll understand is that they are absolutely, totally nationalistic and they are proud of their culture and their heritage. But they weren't proud of this man. He was a fellow Jew who was making incredible, obscene amounts of money by overtaxing them, pocketing a portion in his own pocket, that's called corruption, and then paying the Roman government what they had asked. So he was taxing the people on top of the taxes that the Romans were asking, and he was incredibly wealthy. We know that he was, he, he was a little man, maybe he had little man syndrome, We know that he was a little man because when Jesus came to his town, he couldn't see because he was too short and all the crowds of people that lie in the street. So what do you think could it be that would motivate a man who was probably one of the wealthiest men in his community to sacrifice his dignity, to gird up the loins of his tunic and climb up a tree in order to get Jesus' attention as he walked by? Have you ever thought about that? We know this Bible story so well. But I want to ask you the question, what would drive a man to sacrifice his dignity to climb a tree in order that he can see Jesus and Jesus can see him? And I want to put to you today the probability that the issue that was gnawing at his heart was the issue of the emotional toll that was happening in his soul regarding money. You see, he had all of his financial needs taken care of, but inside of his soul, it was killing him that he was, he'd become a wealthy man through corruption and stealing of his own countrymen. And he needed not just a spiritual reconciliation with God, he needed a financial reconciliation with the Lord that day. So Jesus sees him. He says, Zacchaeus, word of knowledge, never met him before. Come down from your tree. I'm going to come and have lunch at your house today. So he comes and has lunch. No doubt it was a a six or seven course meal that was put on by his servants that waited on Jesus' hand and foot. But something that Jesus said to him that day caused a radical encounter and transformation in his life that included his finances. Let's catch up with it in Luke chapter 19, verse 8. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Wow. Out of one encounter with God, he's ready to give half of everything he has away. And then anyone that he's cheated off, he'll pay back four times what he's stolen from him. I'd say that's a little bit of a radical transformation, wouldn't you? Verse 9, Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. In other words, he's saying, even though he's ripped you all off, he's still a Jew. He's still one of my chosen people. And today, because of the repentance and radical change of heart that he's had around his money and his finances, today salvation has come to his house.
Wow. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. So out of that one lunch appointment, Zacchaeus is freed from the long-term dysfunctional effects of the poor financial management that he has operating in his life. And so immediately he wants to give half of his wealth to the poor and he's prepared to pay back four times the amount. He's having two major reconciliations going on here. Number one, he's having a reconciliation in his soul. The guilt, the condemnation, the corruption that's been going on in his soul is finally been resolved as his sins have been forgiven by the living God. What a wonderful thing. But he's got a second reconciliation going on here, and that is that he's bringing a change of attitude towards his personal finances that is going to bring him into right relationship with God and with men. Amen? You know, is it possible for us to have one reconciliation without the other? Yes, it is. It's possible for us us to find relationship with the living God, but not to have our attitude sorted out when it comes to money and being reconciled with money, with God and with man. Can you say an amen this morning? So remember, through wisdom, the house is built today. So I want to ask you a question. How is your attitude towards money today? Praise God. Well, over the next, uh, this week and next week, I'm going to talk about five financial foundations that every believer needs to make within their life in order to build a true reconciliation in your life with your money. So I'm only going to carry a couple today. We're going to have a short message today. But the next time I preach, I'm going to give three major points, all of them of which I have put into practice in my own life that have completely transformed my attitude towards money, which was going down exactly the same track as my father's attitude towards money. Remember, the sins of the forefathers are passed from one generation to another. And that was exactly what was going to happen in my life unless God got a hold of me and reconciled some issues within my life towards money. So number one today, the first thing, uh, belief that we need to have for full financial reconciliation with God is that we need to understand today, all that we have comes from the Lord. There's no such thing as a self-made man, friends. I want to tell you, whether you're a Christian here today or whether you're a non-Christian here today, God made you. He made you with talents, abilities. He gave you intellect. He gave you skills. And everything that you've built up today, you've got to say this today, it comes from the Lord Himself because He's the one that opens doors. He's the one that closes doors. He's the one that is in charge over your life, who's the sovereign Lord in your life. And James chapter 1, verse 17 says this, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. The truth is today that we're sons and daughters of the living God who bestows upon us His kindness and His goodness and He makes us what we are today. And if we want to be made into something a little bit more, then I want you to build on these uh, foundations today because they will radically change the way that you live your life. The second thing today is that to understand that I can live joyfully with, within God's current provisions for my life. I can live 
joyfully within God's current provisions for the season that I'm living my life in right now. Just want you to really sit on that today. I can live joyfully. Joyfully. Come on, crack a smile this morning as you think about that. You're saying, Pastor James, you ain't seen my bank balance lately. There's not a lot of joy that's uh, staring back at me today, but I want to tell you and I want to explain it to you today. You see, it's human nature for us all to look for greener pastures. We often want better circumstances. We want more money. We want an easier way of life, right? If only I had a better house, better car, better wife. So, (laughs) some things money can't buy. Good recovery, good recovery. Awesome, awesome. So we think this, we're looking for greener pastures all the time, but we know this is true, right? We know that if we all thought that we could have more would make us happier, then would it not make sense that the wealthier nations of the world should be the happiest nations of the world? Well, according to research polls, that is not the case. The wealthiest nations in the world come right down low in the polls and the research of being happiest nations in the world. What does that translate into? Well, that translates into more money doesn't equal more happiness. And so let's get that sorted out right away. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 11 gives an amazing, uh, he gives a resume of some of the challenges that he faced within his life pursuing the call of God. These sorts of challenges were things like he was shipwrecked, He was lost at sea, he was whipped, he was beaten, he was stripped naked. At times he didn't have a meal on a plate. At times he went hungry, the scripture says. At times he was thirsty and at times he was homeless. This is the great, probably the greatest apostle that's ever walked the face of the earth apart from Jesus Christ. This is what he says about his life. But did this dictate his happiness? That's the question. Well, not if we read what he wrote out of a jail cell in Philippians chapter 4. He wrote this to the church at Philippi while he was rotting in a jail cell. Chapter 4, verse 11. I'm not saying this because I am in need. For I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Did you hear that? I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength today. Now, friends, does that look like a man who's struggling with happiness? Terrible situations and circumstances around about his life. And he says, I've learnt 
Whether I've got much or whether I've got little, I've learned the secret to happiness within my life and that whatever circumstance I'm in, I'm calling on the strength of the living God within my life and I can walk through this whether I've got lots in the bank or whether I've got little in the bank because I've learned the secret of contentment within my life does not rely on my bank account. Did you know that 90% of all lotto winners in New Zealand have said, I wish I'd never won lotto in the first place. They haven't said it in those amount of words, but what they've said is that I'm more unhappy now than I was before I won lotto. Did you know that you get a lot of friends that you never knew that you had when you win lotto? They send you special emails and letters they write to you. Not that I, I'm not speaking from personal experience. But they do. They, it becomes a plague on their life. Everybody wants a part of what they have within their life. Then they go crazy. They leave their jobs. They, they All sorts of things. Because, friends, they haven't yet learned the secret to contentment is not found in your bank balance. But it's found in your relationship with Jesus Christ. So, as we look at this today, it's, it's our responsibility to make the adjustments within our personal finances so that we can live within God's provision and become joyfully content, whether He provides us with a little or whether He provides us with a lot in any given season. Did you hear that? It's our responsibility to make the adjustments so that we can live joyfully in that season that we're currently in, whether it's a season of much or whether it's a season of little. So if we're going to live our lives like that, there's a couple of, there's a couple of um, mindsets that we will be challenged with. The first mindset is obviously the issue of contentment. Contentment. Paul said, I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. So let me challenge you this morning. When God increases someone else's provision, maybe a friend or a family member, do you covet it? Do you become envious of other people's lifestyles? Do you ever get angry and ask, why them and not me? Do you get jealous about what others have and what you do not have this morning? Or are you able to say with, with truth and grace and kindness to them, I'm so happy that you've been given a new job. I'm so blessed that you've been given a raise. I'm so blessed that you bought that new car. I'm so blessed that I can see the blessing of God on your life. And you can say it with joy and truth within your heart. Because if you are, then you're on the right track to being reconciled in your finances with the Lord. The second issue that it will uh, contend with us, and this is the one that I just want to hit this morning, and then we're going to talk about some things in the next installment, but it's the issue of debt. The issue of debt. <clears throat> now here's a definition of debt that I would really love you to write down if you've got a pen. Debt comes from wanting more than God's current provision for your life and arranging other ways to get it. Hmm. 
Let's just take time just to think about that for a minute. Debt comes from wanting more than God's current provision for your life and arranging other ways to get it. So when you and I overspend to maintain an artificial lifestyle, it's like telling God, God, you blew it. You blew it. In my current season, you didn't give me what I wanted. So I'm now going to arrange other means of providing what I think you should have given to me and thus entering into debt. Okay? So when I talk about debt, many in this, in this auditorium today, many of you have mortgages and, and a mortgage is a debt. A mortgage is an arrangement that you make that you will pay such and such to the bank on a regular basis for the asset that is in your name. And that's okay as long as the arrangement that you've made doesn't exceed the supply that is coming into your bank account. So debt by definition is having made arrangements for things that you actually can't repay in the long term. That's what we're talking about here. It's very artificial in nature. So you can handle that probably for a short season and you may even enjoy your other arrangements that you've made in that short season. But sooner or later, let me tell you, the phone will ring, the emails will be sent, and maybe the knock on the door will come, as I witnessed with my own family. And this is what Proverbs tells us about debt. Chapter 22, verse 7, The rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is servant to the lender. So as soon as we make those other arrangements, we have now placed ourselves into a position of submission and subservience to the power broker, and the power broker is the one that's lending you the money. Hello. So whether we like it or not, that's the case of what's happening. So we've had situations and scenarios in New Zealand, for example, in our history, going back a generation where the financial markets have crippled the country and interest rates have soared. Right now they're the lowest they've ever been, but interest rates have soared. And at one stage I remember in my lifetime where interest rates in New Zealand went to 23%. 23, do you know what happens when interest rates go to 23%? It means everybody goes broke. And it's only those that aren't in debt that don't go broke. And so just remember that when you enter into an arrangement with a lender, that you as the borrower then come into a position of being servant to the one that's lending you the finance. So the question that we've got to ask ourselves today is are we living within God's provision for the current season of your life? Or at the end of the month, is there too much to pay back than what is coming back into your life? Two columns, debits and credits. And at the end of the month, is there stuff after you've spent it all that you still need to pay back? You're in trouble at that point in time and it will cause incredible stress. Even within your life, if the margins are so small and so tight that one squeak causes a fallout in your finances, then you're really living on the edge with no margins within your life and that will create a lot of stress. See, what a lot of us do is that we get a good paying job 
and then we max out our budget right to the very last cent and we've still got nothing left over at the end of the month. Do you know how stressful that is for you and your family living like that on an ongoing basis, year after year, month after month, week after week? It takes an emotional and spiritual toll over your life today. And I'm not here to tell you off today. I'm just here to tell you the principles of wisdom and that through wisdom, your house will be built and that when you build with the wisdom of God, and we're, we're going to talk about all sorts of things in the next installment around this, that will create miraculous uh, provision to come into your life that can completely turn the tables around as you begin to obey the principles that wisdom dictates to us today. So the question that we need to all ask ourselves is, okay, do I even know the state of my finances? Do I even know the state of my finances? At the end of the month, even if it's really tight and I'm just getting by month after month, do I actually know where I'm spending my money? Do I know how much income I've got coming in? Because that's the baseline and that's the starting point where we all need to start. It's called accountability. And it's a word a lot of us hate. We just don't want to be restricted. We want to be freed. That was the personality and nature of my dad. He didn't want to have boundaries and restrictions around about his life, but in the end, it cost him everything. And praise God, I don't know if I mentioned to you, but at the end, when he lost his house, he went into a deep depression and he found Christ. He found Christ. So I had another family member beside me that was now a worshiper of Jesus. And he turned his life around before the Lord took him very suddenly. Where one week I married him, to his, to his second wife, I was involved in the wedding as a son that was a pastor and see my dad who'd been reconciled with God, see him come to Christ, see his life turned around, see him, the joy come back into his piercing bright blue eyes that he had and, and to see that things really changed within his life. But you see, I still don't believe at that point in time that he had had a second financial, he'd had a second reconciliation. He got that first reconciliation where his sins were forgiven but he still had some nasty habits within his life. And so one week I married him, the next week I buried him. He went on his honeymoon, he came back, shifted into his, his new wife's house, and as he was cleaning out the fridge, he used a cleaning product that sparked up an asthma attack, and he fell into the fridge and died. And you know what? We were all devastated. One week I couldn't believe it. I was doing a, I was doing a wedding joy, amazing occasion. This next week I'm burying my dad at a funeral. I said, God, I need some answers. You know what the Lord said to me? It was my mercy that took him because he hadn't yet had a second reconciliation in his finances and he would have taken his new wife down the same track. It's called the grace of God. Whew. Isn't that amazing? Ah, so at this point, I'd like to make a couple of recommendations. Many of us have access to online banking. Whether you're a nerd or not a nerd, regards to computers, you now have access, most of you, to the internet. I really encourage you to make use of it. There's programs like, you can write this one down, a New Zealand software company that wrote a product called Pocketsmith. Pocketsmith. It's in the Google Play Store. It's in the Apple App Store. 
Uh, it's a web-based solution as well, and this is all you need to do, is that you need to pay about $2 a week, and then you will get your direct bank feeds from your bank account to go directly into the software, and you will immediately become aware of where you're spending your money at the end of each month. You don't have to do anything. It will categorize it for you, and all you need to do, you need to look at that chart at the end of the month and say, wow, I spent that much on coffee? This last month? Whoa, that's, that's a, let me tell you, I know, I love coffee. Let me tell you, sometimes when I look at that graph and I think that's unbelievable, that's like somebody's just made an offer on my house with that coffee bill. Man, it can get expensive, I tell you. So um, make use of that sort of stuff. Whatever your system is, that you need to have a system where you know at the end of each month exactly where you stand. And it will help you pull back within your life to get an accurate position of how much money you have and where it's being spent at the end of each month. You will feel cleaner. You will feel clearer in your mind. You will be able to make some financial planning moving ahead and you will be reconciled in your heart with your finances. And next uh, time I share, I want to share three great secrets to financial success that I've discovered personally in my own life of having to start out again from scratch and not have the blessing of being able to have an inheritance passed down upon me from our family farm. And you will find that these things will really, really bless you. So let's just close our eyes for a moment.